that's all right for you That's all right now mama Any way you do But that's all right winner of the Iris Prize. Congratulations. Wow, that's, that's quite overwhelming. <laughs> Head to our website, then click on Festival. This is where you'll find and watch all of this year's films. Hello, welcome to the Iris Podcast. This year, we're all about Best of British. Welcome to opening night of the 14th Iris Prize LGBT Plus Film Festival. For nearly two decades, Emmanuel Anyamosigwe's obsession with diversity has won the hearts and minds of filmmakers and audiences alike. His blueprint for how minorities should be represented has stood the test of time, long before the penny dropped for other institutions far and wide that diversity truly matters. This year, as Buff marks its 15th anniversary, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Never has diversity been more relevant than in 2020. And as long as the issue remains in the public eye, Emmanuel has ensured that for creatives everywhere, the British Urban Film Festival is a broad church that welcomes all creeds and all colors, comfortable in its own skin and bold in its approach to storytelling and showcasing film as seen through the social and cultural lens. 
From BFM to Buckingham Palace, it's been quite a journey for the man who literally bet the house on making Buck the success that it is today. Mustafa, hi. Hello. How are you? I'm alive. man. How are you? I'm not too bad. Great to meet you guys. It's great to see that everyone is so busy and everyone's in work. Yeah. Fantastic. So what are you guys working on at the moment? Uh, well, I'm currently editing a web series which I shot with Peter, who directed the film that was in for this festival. So it's a new project they're working on. So it's kind of in post-production for that at the moment. That's sort of ongoing for the moment. Okay. Um, uh, me and my um, wife were developing some uh, horror projects because we had a, a horror short that did very well um, called Wretch. So we've been um, sort of like, we've been in talks with some production companies and we're developing a sort of low budget feature at the moment, which we're hoping everything aside we'll be able to shoot in this summer okay nice um i'm working on my feature film uh so i've got first draft with my screenwriter right now and um yeah very exciting a uh, big work uh, in comparison with short films <laughs> i'm uh oh man i'm developing about 20 projects uh, i'm head of development as well over at big deal films so we just delivered two shorts for bbc which are now up on iplayer and we just got a commission for a series uh, which we shoot the pilot for next year we just got the director on board for bbc comedy which yeah. we're really excited about um uh, revolving around uh it's, it's dominantly a black show which we're really excited about and uh, i've got a number of films and tv shows of my own on top of that and i'm about to go and shoot five episodes of hollyoaks next week oh Okay. Are you a fan of Hollyoaks? Uh, I do you know what? I think, like, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, as a direct, as a filmmaker in this country, I think we don't, we don't really have a film industry. And I think predominantly a lot of the work is in television. So if you're not working in TV, 
as a lot of people know, it's going to take between four to eight years to get that first film and that second feature off the ground. So it's like, how do you survive in that time? Uh, so yeah, I've done quite a bit of TV in the past and uh, I think uh, Hollywood, Hollywood came my way and I watched it. And I, I, was surprised, I was surprised by just how strong the writing is actually. It's a, it's a really strong show. It won Best Soap Drama last year, which is great. And it's a great stepping stone. I know that the new director of the Star Wars spin-off show started off on Hollyoaks, which is great. So, you know, we're shooting, I'm shooting five half an hour across 19 days, which is really good. And uh, yeah, just just keep keep moving forward. Yeah, I think it's it's very easy to knock soap operas because a certain Idris Elba started on Family Affairs mm. on Channel 5. Mm. Man, if you look at all, all a lot, basically there's two ways as a director in this industry, right? You either get lucky, like I, I was, I, you know, I've, I've been in this for like 10 years now and I was the Screen International Star of Tomorrow, I had all that heat, all that fire. And, you know, you either get lucky straight out, out of the gate and you get like a Netflix show or you have to build, you have to build it up slowly and slowly. And as, as I'm sure you know, as a person of colour in this industry, things are only really about to start changing now. Uh, within the last year, Black Lives Matter ha has had a massive impact and a massive shift from what, I, from as a direct, as a producer, from from what I could see, it, there's a, there's been a big change behind behind the scenes in terms of now, you know, for for a long time I think people of colour in this industry, you know, you you're always a lot of people that I know spoken to are always getting overlooked for people who are non people of colour. Uh, with less experience, you know, uh, for, so it's like, how do you sustain a career in this industry uh, as a person of colour? I know for women, uh, it's kind of changed in the last couple of years after the Me Too movement. Uh, and I think the, the diversity conversation, it swung from one one way to, to that for a little while. But now they're, they're starting to find encompass people of colour. I think Netflix and Disney and, and the streamers have played a big part in that because obviously the world is changing and British television isn't, isn't, um, isn't you know, for a long time, it wasn't reflective of uh, society as a whole. And it's only now that actually it's starting to change. And like, like I said, like Disney and the streamers, uh, you, you know, ultimately they think about audience first and as the world change, so the content is in order to reflect that so audience could feel connected to, to, to the, uh, to the content that they're viewing, the storytelling and these narratives, which are so important for people to see themselves up on screen. So, yeah. yeah. Guyara, as, as a female, how, how do you see the industry through your unique lens? <clears throat> um, well, even now I'm the only female right now in the, uh, in this session. So yeah, I feel that the, the percentage of uh, women directors are much, much more lower, but I also feel that we, um, it's changing and uh, more and more new female directors coming up with new uh, ideas and films, which is great. Um, in my personal experience, I should say, maybe I'm lucky or not, I don't know, but uh, likely I have never experienced any discrimination or uh, any um, difficulties just because I'm a female. I think pretty much doing my um, several films, uh, it was always fair um, attitude to me, which, uh, yeah, which is amazing to know and to feel it. Guys? Have you ever felt discriminated in spite of kind of who you look like, for want of a better phrase? 
Uh, I mean, I would say that certainly I've never had anything where I've, you know, I feel like in anything there's points where you can be, you can get weird things. Like for instance, I used to shoot a lot of uh, Indian music videos. And so I would be the only white guy on the set a lot of the time. And if I ever did something, one of the reasons they hired me is because they didn't want a generic, because there was a way that a lot of those Indian videos were shot, that they wanted something a bit different. So if I would come in and I would do something different from how, because I, I, I started out in hip hop videos, then moved into Asian videos. Now mostly I do rock videos, but it's like a, a thing where if I did something different, they would always call that the white boy shot. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it was never a thing that bugged me, never thing, it certainly didn't feel like I was being discriminated against, but I do think it's always interesting to spend time in areas where you are um, you know, uh, the minority person in that circumstance, because it gives you a better perspective on everything. And as someone who's also uh, half American, half Scottish, you know, I've grown up in a, between the two countries and often been the person who has the weird accent or doesn't fit in. Um, and I think it's, it's always good to kind of try and get some kind of understanding of what it's like not to fit in. Especially too, like I, most of my films uh, are about women. I tend to make films about women. Um, so it's kind of like, I think part of the interesting thing for me is trying to strive to understand things from another perspective to try and understand, empathize and learn about other experiences. So when I watched say something like Get Out, I didn't sit there and go, oh, I identify with the white people. I identified with say being the person when I you know, was dating my ex-girlfriend, went to her house, I was the only white guy there. It was like, that's what I empathized with. And I think that's the thing is it's all about us trying to empathize and learn about each other's experiences and trying to become better people. Leon, anything to add there? Um, yeah, so for moment of truth, Peter is black and all the cast were black as well. And obviously for me, being a white person coming in, I did feel like the minority on the crew. But I thought it was really interesting how, while there were so many similarities, there were so many nice differences between working with maybe an all white crew and cast to an all black crew and cast, because just the stories that can be told, are, they're just slightly different. And it was really good to work with, with this whole cast and crew. It was a really good experience. It did take me a while to get used to some of the um, kind of like the slang terms and things like that because I was I'm, I'm, I was wasn't brought up East London. I was brought up outside in Berkshire, so for me it's it's kind of a new dialect to really understand. Um, and now since then, I've done quite a few films in that area, so predominantly with black directors. And it's now for me, it's now becoming normal compared to working with white directors, which is interesting because I'm quite early in my DOP career still. Um, so I'm still kind of learning how to work with different people and everything. And especially on the, the topic of women in films as well, I wrote a film last year where I wanted a really strong female lead. And because I, I'm very much for having strong female characters if they're written to be strong female characters rather than taking an existing character and maybe moving over to a female lead. I think strong female characters come from being organic. And I really wanted to have a film where the female character got the upper hand on the male characters and it was a really good dynamic because when I watched it during the edit stage the way that she acted it was perfect like she kind of stayed in the background for a lot of it which was the intention and then towards the end she comes out and gives a really strong performance and I think if that had been a, been a bloke the impact wouldn't have been the same um, so for me I think it's very much having the right the right character to be played by the right actor, whether it's 
female or male, black, white, whatever. Because um, there's so many different ways people act characters. And yeah, yes. <laughs> you know what, it's like Steve McQueen recently, I think he was talking in The Guardian. I think uh, one of the, uh, the predominant challenges in this country is class. Mm. That, that, that's across, you know, that goes across how you, you know, people identify, race, gender, mm. etc. So I think uh, that's something hopefully that will be, you know, changes, are, you know, will change in time. Mm. And the AFI are very, you know, adamant in pushing on certain things on that mm. with uh, some of their uh, monitoring and application forms of socioeconomic backgrounds and stuff so you know and I, you know hopefully as, 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 as you know there is now it feels like a time of change there's more people like me coming up uh on the producer side of things you know i think i think a lot of us of a certain generation uh you know I, I, you know don't have that subconscious bias against certain folk you know um, mm. for us it's always uh who's the best person to tell the story who's the, mm. who's the story about uh, and then who's the best people for the, for the job, really? Mm. Great. Must, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad that everything is changing at the moment because like in Europe and US, like, yeah, everything is very diverse. But for example, I'm right now, I'm originally from Azerbaijan, which is a very small <laughs> country. Um, and I'm doing my next film about the woman rights in Muslim countries like Azerbaijan. And I, when I was doing interview with different girls from Azerbaijan, one of them said that she wanted to be a director and she went to the university and there was a tutor director who told her that I, I'm going to be very honest uh, for this class. If you're a girl, you don't have much chances to be a director. So it's rather now, as early as possible, you change the faculty and the studies. Can you imagine? Like, you think it's not happening anymore, but in, I think in the small countries, um, mm -hmm. it's still, yeah, it's still, they're stuck in, a bit in there. <laughs> we have to be very clear about the distinction between culture and religion you know that those are cultural things and, and not religious things oh yeah of course yeah yeah he was it was it's very yeah, yeah cultural where they believe that woman doesn't need to work um yeah, and yeah, yeah. These, are, these are cultural issues uh, across uh, some areas in, in, in south asia south asia yes okay Sorry, you got to say it, sorry. Yeah, I, I hope I will change that in my country one well, day. <laughs> well, obviously, we're, we're all gathered here because um, as a festival, we embrace diversity, representation and inclusion in all its forms, whether it's the story that's been told, the people behind the story, the filmmakers, which is you guys, and obviously the times that we're living in, which are so pertinent right now with Black Lives Matter, points that you alluded to at the, at the top, Mustafa. So if I may, I'd like to obviously go into detail about each of the films, which I had the pleasure of watching with my customary bowl of granola. Those of you familiar with the granola test, <laughs> what I'm on about here. But if you're not aware of the granola test, I always like to introduce new audiences to this concept. So essentially what a granola test is, is basically you have a bottle of granola, I would actually bring out a bowl right now, but we might do that later on. So there's a bowl of granola there and you're about to watch a film like Hate, for example. And after about 10, 20 seconds, if you've not 
touched that bowl of granola, or you've not had a spoonful. Basically, the film's going to pass the festival because it's got my attention. So obviously, the key is to not eat that food whilst you're watching the film. The payoff is, once you get to the end of the film and you've not touched that bowl of granola, you then get to eat it all. There's <laughs> a double payoff. So that, I, it's, it's nice then, because then it's soggier and it's kind of like got that nice sort of chewy vibe to it. You know, I, I like granola <laughs> when it's soaked for a bit. I like you already, Kia, you see? <laughs> Purely unscientific method, but it works every single mm. time. So mm. I like that. when you think mm. about the answers to the questions that I'll be asking, you always think about that bowl of granola in the back of your head. Emmanuel had to eat a whole bowl of granola <laughs> after watching your film. That's just making me hungry. <laughs> let, let's kick off with hate then, because obviously that's a film um, very much that required my attention. And Mustafa, if you can go into detail about how that story first got on the page uh, before it got onto the screen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, like Hamza, who co-directed it and wrote it, uh, I, try to get, I try to get him on this call, but he, I just can't get food to him. So, uh, so I'm head of development over at Big Deal Films, and Danny, the managing director, is also uh, Hamza's manager. So when uh, Hamza, Hamza was coming in and he, and he put the script on, on the table, he was like, Mus, can you have a look at the script? And it was, it was very long. It was like over 20 pages long, and I was like, he was like, the police, the Metropolitan Police Anti-Terror uh, team want to make a film that touches... Can you all hear me, by the way? Am I low? Yeah, yeah we can hear you fine, yeah. So the anti-terror, uh, Metropolitan Anti-Terror Unit uh, Police Squad team, uh, they wanted to make a film that touched on a few points, knife crime, hate crime, gang violence, uh, and, uh, yeah, predominantly those three things that included, you know, knife crime and acid attacks and whatnot. And, you know, so I looked at it and I was like, and, and the budget was like 14,000 pounds. I was like, bro, you gotta get this down, man. There's no way like, you know, with a 20 plus page script, we're gonna be, we're gonna be able to do this. Like you've got, you've got these big scenes with cars and, and, and all these, it was just massive. It was more, it was more bigger than it, than it actually is at the moment. So if you've seen it, you're like, wow, 14 grand. Um, so anyway, I looked at it and I just gave notes on it. And then he was like, Mus, uh, do you wanna, why don't you co-direct it with me? Cause I'm starring in it. Why don't you just like, yeah, co-direct it? And I was like, cause a lot of my work is youth orientated. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a genre freak. I'm not really interested in dark, weird art house films or dramas. They just bore me. I, I really get bored very easily. Um, so I looked at it and I was like, do you know what? It's got a really positive message behind the film. So, so yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. So then I found, so then, yeah, this, you know, it, it was, I think it was after the New Zealand uh, attacks on the mosque that Hamza initially had, had that first idea. Uh, and it, it really just grew from there. So yeah, we just, we just started, uh, I just started helping him develop it developing it, developing the script and getting it to it. I think we got it down to like 17 pages. We got it, we got it down. And then, uh, yeah, then it, I also ended up producing it as well. So yeah, there we go. And if you had 10 times the budget, what kind of film would Hate have turned out to be? It's the same film. 
Like, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very happy. There's one shot in there which I, I, I am autistic, so like little. There's a, there's a, like I'm very like my eye on detail, and there's one shot which is slightly off framed, and it <laughs> drives me crazy. Uh, you know, always striving for perfection. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd make the same film. I'll take the money and I'd go make a, a an action comedy, <laughs> a supernatural comedy. Uh, or you know, I'd, I'd go, I'd go make Star Wars instead. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many days did it take to shoot? We shot it in seven days on the yeah, on fourteen K. So it was it was pretty intense. Uh, we shot on a yeah Alexa. Uh, we've got a lot of favors. Yeah, it was a seven day shoot on fourteen K. A lot of it was shot in. Uh, we shot in um, in Kent and Gravesend, the police training centre. Where they, where they do a lot of uh, anti-terror training and like riot training stuff. Uh, all those police officers you see in the film are actually real police officers. Uh, the, you know, the flame, the, the bottle, the bottle that blows up and all, you know, a lot of that w w was done there. The riot stuff was all done there as well. So yeah, we, we shot it, we shot it in seven days. I kind of, yeah, I co-directed with Hamza, uh, me being more exper experienced director uh, not to say he's not a great director, he's a fantastic director, he's got a very interesting and unique eye. It was just there, I guess, <clears throat> just to support him and uh, to see the blind spots and for him to also focus on on his performance in, in the piece, you know? And before I move on to Kia, um, talk to me about the festival strategy for that film. H how did that kind of get... To be honest, it's like a weird one because like my films never connect with festivals because I don't I, I don't make the type of mature films that that people at festivals go to watch. You know, I, I make films for just like normal audiences, really. Uh, you know, uh, and I find a lot of festivals can be quite snobby, snobbish with regards to the material. You know, the F word, the fun word, is the bad word in the UK. You know, don't say fun. <laughs> And I was also conscious of the fact that we've got uh, white perpetrators of hate crime. <laughs> so I was like, man, like with my previous film, I, I shot a film called Painkiller starring Benedict Wong, who's now in the Marvel Universe and, and Franz Drama, who's in the DC <laughs> Universe. And there was a white character in that film and uh, he dies pretty early on. So I'm sure for white audiences, they were like, holy fuck. Like, <laughs> probably just switched them off straight away so i was expecting the same really because it's like you know i don't think they're ready to see themselves as the villains on screen in in a in a in a, in a film that has predominantly people of color so i had zero expectations uh i know we won the best online film at uh, birmingham i think it was last weekend so that was the so i was like fuck yeah i can now put award-winning <laughs> Like, yeah, but you know, what? I don't give a shit like, like about festivals. Like, no disrespect to your festival, it's a great thing, like, you know, supporting uh, new talent, new voices, helping the the work get seen. Mm. And festivals like yours are so, are so damn important because I think a lot of work would get overlooked just because of the judges and the makeup of the judges. Because taste is an, is a, you know, I've judged stuff before, and taste is a really uh, you know, it's a, it could be a deciding factor on what gets through and what doesn't. So, you know, having 
uh, a people of color festival where people of color behind it, they're going to have a different take on the sorts of, of, of films. So, you know, like I said, I had no expectations because of the content and I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, yeah, when, when Birmingham done and when you guys picked up and other people. Uh, really, I, sh I should give a big shout to Katie at Festival Formula because filling in forms and submitting forms and submitting films to festivals is a very time consuming thing. And to have somebody as passionate, Katie and uh, Frankie over there and Ian, really passionate people who want to help support filmmakers and get their films, uh, you, you know, getting them on board to help get the film out there uh, was fucking amazing. So, uh, you know, I, I love her. And, and, and I'm glad that it got into some festivals, but ultimately, you know, the film's online on YouTube and I think it's, it's up to coming up to, you know, half a million views within a couple of months, which, which is great. And ultimately, like I said, it's a film for young audiences. And, and, and for me, the, the, you know, the, the most important thing is, like, if you go for the comments on the YouTube page, they're amazing. Uh, people are really connecting with it, young people, specifically who the film was targeted for and uh, they're getting that positive message. So ultimately, yes, I would like a gold statue in my bathroom, but, but, but uh, equally, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, with, with a bit of luck, if Katie is doing her job correctly, and I know she will, she'll, she would have entered hate in for a potential BAFTA award, which yeah. is now part of. So you never know, you know, some beginnings and all of that. You know what? Like, Awards are great for, you know, helping, you know, progress your career in that sense. But, but ultimately, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of films, you know, a lot of award-winning films people forget about. You know, the films that I, I still remember to this day are Back to the Future. I was talking about John Hughes the other day. He didn't win a, an award throughout his career. And now he's, 40, you know, his films are 40 years old and people are still connecting with them. You know, those are the films that were really really like Ghostbusters and Back to the Future and the original Star Wars, you know, that will really test, the, the, you know, that will really endure the test of time, you know, because they connect on that spiritual and emotional level. And none of his films are festival films, you know, none of, none of his films are award-winning, worthy, serious films, you know, or obscure and arty films. I have no interest in none of that. So, so, that, so there we go. Thanks for the moment, Mustafa. Kia, if I can come to you with Duchess, yeah. um, obviously, a complete left field kind of topic, although in many ways, um, the subject of female boxes has become to be more prominent, I guess, in the professional sphere. But from a film point of view, we've not had too many films about female boxes. But talk to us about why you picked that particular subject matter. Well, I think actually it's uh, specifically uh, female MMA fighters. Um, but it was it was it was kind of um, it kind of came from several different areas. Um, one. Uh, as someone who was, you know, raised by his own mother, I have a kind of like a very uh, big interest in gender dynamics, gender politics. And also, um, it just kind of so happened that I think like sports is one of the really sort of fascinating areas where you can really explore the idea of gender dynamics in a way where it is still there is a really sort of like um, complex question at hand because it's like so I was over in LA with my buddy and we were at uh, this bar where we were watching these MMA fights and I wasn't particularly into MMA um, but we had these female MMA fighters out there and you saw like you know all these like you know hard dudes in the bar who were just like really getting into it really cheering and it was this really kind of like big surprise to me and um, it was kind of like, I started writing around the time like Ronda Rousey became like this really big, like sort of like uh, uh, sensation. 
And, um, but the thing that everyone kept going was like, oh yeah, yeah, but could she beat a man? And this is a problem I always have anytime like the issue of like women's sports comes up because I also like, I, I love the Women's World Cup. I watch it every, uh, every time it comes up. Uh, I've been trying to get more into women's football. Um, and I just, I, it always bugs me this question of whether women can like fight men because my, I, I think you have to look at them as their own sports and you have to give those athletes their own kind of, uh, their own kind of cred. So I kind of, what I thought was really, I tried to do with Duchess was more the idea of like, if you're gonna have this battle of the sexes, um, I took a lot of inspiration from um, Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs and the idea that Billie Jean King would be the first to tell you if she was playing and in his prime Bobby Riggs, she would not have been able to beat him. It's because he was, he was a middle-aged guy. She was at the prime of her career and that was what it was, but it wasn't about who was the better athlete, it was the symbolic victory. And so the point to me with Duchess was always the idea of not trying to play it as if she's gonna be like Charlize Theron in like Atomic Blonde and just like decimate anybody who's around her. It's the question of, okay, if you're gonna take this seriously, how do you fight it? But the other thing that I also kind of was very interested in is this male dynamic of like, that it becomes about this kind of like, and I don't like using buzz phrases, but if you wanna bring it down to the notion of toxic masculinity, if that's kind of the easier buzzword to like bring in there, that's cool. But it's, it's like this idea of like, that there is this inherently poisonous element within the gym of the guys. And a lot of what you see the main character doing is about trying to, of the, uh, is trying to deal with this kind of shitty element of kind of like men posturing in front of each other and having to like make a show of like showing off. And then also like a big part of what drives the later developments in the plot is the, uh, the way that the, um, that the men react to each other and react to him looking like he's gonna lose, you know? So I, I think for me, it's just about, I, I see it as a kind of mini battle of the sexes about trying to, you know about how what it takes to try and earn respect and um yeah so i think that was kind of like my main impetus for the whole thing i went on a really rambling answer there sorry and there are a lot of different inspirations basically. sure was there ever part of you thinking that this could be a feature length film as opposed to the short it was written actually originally as a feature length concept and this is actually more like an inciting incident of what happens for like the rest of the feature and you know it's kind of like so it, it was in a sense written as kind of, it was kind of written as a sense a little bit of a proof of concept leon keep a piece in my head with a um, <laughs> moment of truth um mm. were you part of the process from the very start um obviously as dop you probably would have come in later on in in the piece but talk to us about your journey um with peter in moment of truth um, yes, yeah, so I can't remember how, when I, what stage I came on at. I think he was still during the casting stage. Um, I just got a message on, link, oh, on LinkedIn, uh, on Instagram, um, and he said, I've seen the work you did on the film called Kids last year. Um, I was recommended to you by Faisal, who is the lead actor in Kids, but also Moment of Truth, um, which I didn't find out until later on, which was interesting. Um, so he said, yeah, I'll get you on board now so we can start figuring out kind of how we're going to shoot it. Um, because I think he said it was the first film he kind of looked a bit further further afield for a DOP um, to kind of take his film to the next level. And so when he brought it, when he sent me the script, and I I really like the script. It's I've seen a couple, I'm still quite sort of new to it in terms of the DOP side. 
So I've seen a couple, but this one really stood out to me. And I started saying to him, okay, so what kind of feel do you want for the film? Um, so we started looking at different locations, uh, sort of working through a shot list to see what kind of reaction you wanted to invoke from, from, the, uh, from the scenes. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned about festivals, about how there's, like, a lot of festivals can be the snobbish side. And I mean, look at someone like Roger Deakins, he's probably the most famous cinematographer of our time. Yeah, he's only won an Oscar last year for 1917. So I was, I've always had in my head that I'm not worried about awards personally. If the film itself wins an award, that's a win for me because I've, I've done my job. There's, there's time and places for kind of like flashy cinematography, like RGB lights everywhere and things. But for someone like this, it's really not the place for it. I really wanted to tell the story in a grounded, a grounded way, but really trying to nail as many of the emotions as possible through shot choices and lighting. Um, so we started looking at locations, which was kind of the first thing that we did together. So he, he said, what kind of locations would you think would be suitable for these different scenes? Which is always a really good sign to me because for me, locations makes a, a lot of the shot. And if there's, if the location does 90% of the kind of the set dressing, then it's easier for everyone to both get in the mood for it and for time as well. Um, so we went through a lot of Airbnbs and Airbnbs have been kind of like a savior, I think, for a lot of indie filmmakers when it comes to finding locations like easily and within the reasonable budget. So majority of the film is set in an interior. So we wanted to find an interior which both gave us really nice visuals but not overbearing. So not like pure white walls because that's kind of the bait in my existence is white walls. Um, so we've spent a lot of time going through different Airbnbs, trying to negotiate with different, different owners to see what we could use. And then another key location was the alleyway. Um, so it was trying to find an alleyway, which was give us enough space to actually kind of do what we needed to do, but far enough away where people weren't going to kind of disturb us all the time. Um, which unfortunately, when we started shooting that scene, which was an alleyway at night, it started raining. So we had to then come back another day, which is unfortunate. Um, so yeah, when, when it came to the actual shooting process, we have quite an, quite an extensive shot list device for it, which unfortunately due to timing, kind of 60% of it went out the window is a lot of, lot of they do when it comes to shooting. So the actual shooting schedule for, for the 60 minute film was two days, which is incredibly tight to get, to get a lot in, um, especially the interior scenes where we only have, for, for the scene in the living room, which was about, I think five to eight minutes, we only had about two and a half, three hours to light and shoot that, which was which was really tough actually to to get that. And at the time I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy with how I shot it because I feel like we could have had we done more time. Um, but when it came to the final result, I was like, you know what, it actually does, it works. While, while for me, the lighting wasn't perfect, it tells the story and it, it's enough to let the actors do their thing and let the actors breathe and be able to express what they need to express. Um, and they came out really nicely. It was a really, really good experience. It's probably the best set I've actually worked on in terms of everyone getting along well, everyone working together well, and knowing what each person needs to do and kind of accommodating that. So for me, I'm very much, I very much always like to ask when I'm being brought on for a project as DOP, have you got a dedicated sound person, a sound mixer and a boom operator? Because for me, that 
even though I'm visuals, sound makes up a big part of it. Um, and so there's a few films where I've been brought on where they haven't got a sound person. They've asked me to sound do sound as well. And I'm like, no, I'd rather just stick to it. So he managed to get a really good sound mixer who I recommended and that really brought the film to life and it really kind of goes to show how visuals and audio together just make a really solid, solid end result. Thanks for that, Leon. Um, and just on the subject of visuals, I'll kind of segue into Gulyara on visuals because there's a lot to look at in Escort, as you well know, as well as the kind of art design. So I'm fascinated to find out from you just kind of how you were able to channel what was in your head to what we see on the screen in Escort. Uh, so yeah, it was challenging because I wanted always to make my film in a very dark, this presidential room. Um, and um, I literally looked at every hotel in the UK, which has presidential room and there is only there was only one in London uh, which had dark um, dark um, walls dark uh, sofa and it really fitted the mood of the uh, film and um, uh, there is a lot of inspirations when I, I was going to Van Gogh um, exhibition in Tate Modern and finding different uh, inspirational um, pictures and arts uh, so I was building up the colors and everything and then I was sitting with my DOP who was super talented uh, who found me through the festival with my previous film <laughs> he was a part of a jury um, and he really wanted to do my next film so I'm really grateful because because of him it was very cheap <laughs> because he got so much contacts with the camera and equipment so the what we had a 16 minutes film and it was only five thousand pounds uh so yeah and i always wanted to portray escort industry from dark side because i felt that uh, when you're watching now the tv series on netflix on amazon um, connected with this topic everything is very glamorized that yeah maybe you have here and there difficult by the you know it's easy money glamorous girls but uh, when you start researching there's actually a lot of death girls found in forests uh, everywhere and no one can do any investigation because their clients are very powerful and rich uh, people and no one can go against sometimes it's even almost like government or uh, like they're very people who had a very big status and no one can like no one cares and i wanted always to portray the real world uh, to show that no like it's dangerous it's not worth it um because with all this social media instagram um is just yeah i think it can portray to some girls who are in need of money that oh this is a very easy way of doing that but i wanted to show the reality that you can actually it, it can work it can it can cost you your life great so it's great to kind of get a greater understanding of too many greats because you're all great so I just, <laughs> but it's just great to know um kind of the story behind the stories with each of you with regards to what the actual subject matter means to you whether it's the visuals as you pointed out leon um to working with the met police mustafa and then obviously your background kia and obviously what you just explained 
Guyara. Um, with regards to film festivals, I guess the question I wanted to ask each of you, you've kind of touched on it in terms of the importance of festivals like Buff. Um, talk to us, obviously, pre-COVID, whether any of you have been to film festivals, um, that experience of networking and seeing other filmmakers work. Now that we are in an online environment, and obviously all your films are going to be showing on the Apple TV app, um, talk to us about your recollections of live festival experiences. And now that we are in this post-COVID environment, um, how you think the future is going to look? I'll start with Guyara. <laughs> well, I really miss live festivals <laughs> because uh, it gave me a chance to meet people who helped me, helped me with my next project. So that DOP noticed me in that in the previous festival and he helped me. Another one per person uh, who helping me now with my feature film also noticed me in another festival. So it's kind of the place where you can build all this relationship because I think when you're just starting your career, especially as a director, you just need people who are willing to help you um, to build because you're doing the shorts with your money, saved money here and there to kind of get your name out there and finally do your feature film and start your proper career. Um, and it was very amazing when the film was screened on the big screen and you could see the audience reaction. You could see are they crying or they are bored on their phones and it really helped. Uh, and also they've been coming afterwards sharing their feedback. With online, I think um, it's a bit more difficult to network, but I guess uh, like these sessions <laughs> are very useful to meet new people and then afterwards stay in touch, which is amazing. Um, and uh, I noticed that when the films were uh, screened online, there are a lot of uh, people who are finding you in social media and texting you about your film, which is really, um, yeah, really nice. Um, in terms of future, I hope, I still hope that we will be back to the live events. Leon? Um, this is actually my first festival experience, which unfortunately wasn't what I was expecting it to be. Um, so it's, yeah, I was kind of really excited to start going and networking with people and starting to see what's actually out there. And But what I find is interesting with all the online stuff is it gives probably more people a chance to be able to watch these films in this kind of environment who won't maybe be able to go to the, the actual festival itself so people if you're overseas or they can't make it for various reasons um so yeah no it's first first festival experience for me uh for my film even though my, my thing now is cinematography i did write and direct a film last year which is um it, I was going to submit it to festivals, but then I decided to hold off until maybe festivals could start coming back in again as a live environment, purely because it's interesting, like you say, it's when I wrote and directed it, it was never supposed to be a festival film. It's very much a fun film um, and not really telling a message or anything. Um, so I was going to submit it and just see kind of what the results would be. Um, but then when I did Peter's film, when he, he kind of said at the beginning he wants to start to submit to festivals which for me I thought was really exciting I thought right let's make something really solid and make something which people will hopefully sit up and notice even though the budget was incredibly low and the shoot schedule was <laughs> even lower for it um, 
it'll be interesting to see how it stacks up against other films which may have a bigger budget and longer longer shoot time um but no, i'm really looking forward to it really looking forward to seeing all the films kind of back to back and just yeah hopefully doing some online networking like here which is which is good mustafa yo um <laughs> i uh, the best thing about festivals is my experience is meeting so many friends. Like I don't fuck the networking. I just like meeting. Fr- like, well, you could consider networking in terms of work wise. Mm-hmm. I met so many of my filmmaking peers uh, after you know we're, we're all sat in the audience. We're watching a program of films. I'm like, that feels fucking wicked. <laughs> I want to go talk to him. I was like, yo, feel sick. And then five hours later, we're, we're absolutely fucking smashed. <laughs> and then you made lifelong friends. You know, like I met Stephen Fingleton that way. I met the I met the Lynch brothers that way. I met so many good long-term filmmaking friends through that journey, which is which I kind of miss. Obviously, look, you know, we're behind the computer, behind the screen again. <laughs> we spend ninety percent of our time behind screen. <laughs> I'm sure if it's not this, it's the switch on my iPhone. <laughs> you know, about it, yeah, yeah. So you know, that's the thing. That's that's one of the best things about about the festival experience, I guess. The ups, you know, one of the positives with it being online is it has the ability to reach more people, which which is a good thing. But you know, I think I think it's hard, man. I think it's hard for, you know, indie indie film is struggling. It's been struggling for a very long time, and you know, I think uh, festivals such as yours, Emmanuel, are fucking amazing, man. Well done, brother. I see you getting bare respect in out, out there when I was reading articles about the festival and. And how it's recognised, and then being BAFTA accredited—that's fucking fantastic, man. Because you know, t- times are times are difficult in the in the in, in the indie space. Uh, you know, with with what's happening, especially now with COVID and the closure of cinemas as well, and the rise of the rise of the streamers, which is, has plus and negatives. You know, so I, I don't know, man. It's just everything's like this, isn't it? Everything is balanced as it should be. <laughs> As Feynos said at the end of Endgame. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You take the rough with the smooth, most definitely. And obviously, as far as Buff is concerned, it's been an extraordinary year. And Guyara will pay testament to that because he's been to some of the key events this year. Um, obviously, I got an MBE as well earlier in the year for service. Yeah, congrats, bro. Yeah, that's awesome. Well done. Oh. Yeah, I think it's in the. Well deserved. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, you. checks in the post checks in the post <laughs> yeah but obviously we, we, we've come a long way and for me with diversity it's very much a journey that I started on long before Buff with a, another film festival that was very much about black film and that was under the tutelage of Menelik Shabazz um, for people of a certain age who don't know who Menelik Shabazz was or still is because he's still alive um, he was one of the first black British filmmakers to make a feature in the UK, and that was Burning an Illusion in 1981. Um, Films he's made uh, in the last few years included a documentary on Lover's Rock, which is obviously now the rage right now with Steve McQueen's um, version of Lover's Rock, which has aired on the BBC. So, you know, in, in many ways, the black British film industry is very small. Um, we're only just kind of breaking out and it certainly feels in 2020 that we are not just at a moment, but the beginning of something, even though it feels like there's so much black talent and content coming at the UK. Um, for me, I, I think we're at the beginning of this 
and obviously for filmmakers of colour and just filmmakers who just feel in general marginalised because that's very much what Buffer is about. We're a broad church of inclusion. So you don't have to be black to be in the festival. You know, it's whatever you perceive that word urban to be. And the conversation that we're having with all of your films is testament to the fact that your story could be about a female MMA fighter. It could be about the escort industry. You don't quite know what you're about to watch at the British Urban Film Festival. And that's what's kind of kept us going for 15 years. And as we go into 2021 and the beginning of the next decade, um, there's gonna be more of this. And obviously for festivals like Buff, we're, we're in a great position to take advantage of that. And obviously working with organizations like BAFTA and Apple, who very much appreciate the work that we've been doing and continue to do. It's a great time to be a creative. And like I said at the beginning of this talk, it's great to see so many filmmakers busy on their second, third, fourth, fifth projects to the extent where they haven't actually got time to do our filmmaker Zoom sessions. So it's like, do you know what? Fair play to you guys. You guys need to work because you are the lifeblood of the industry. Um, I read a tweet the other day about writers. They are the ultimate job creators because without the scripts, we can't actually get to the stage where we're at now where films are being exhibited that are being distributed so writers are very much an important part of this process um and on that um did you all write your films i can't remember from memory did you all? yeah I can, can i can i can i just add something to that quick yeah go on kids I just wanted to say that, you know, and I think the really cool thing is that I'm really, you know, for me personally, it was really touching to be included in um, your festival because like the thing is like from my perspective is obviously, you know, I'm a white dude, um, I'm half Scottish, my dad's American from German stock, so it's about as white as you can get. Um, but it's a case of, for me, I've always tried to have a uh, multi-ethnic cast, not because, but not force it. Um, you know, our cinematographer on Duchess is uh, a black woman. You know, it's, it's not a case of, I think, I, 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 I worry sometimes about the, the, the sort of simplicity of saying, um, you're white, so therefore go tell white stories. You know, I think sometimes stories can be more general and, and in that place, they can be multi-ethnic. They can be uh, interesting and diverse in ways that they don't have to be sort of pigeonholed or put into one area. So it's, I, I appreciate, you know, being included in the festival and I think it's really cool what you're doing. Thanks for that. Um, Leon, anything to add? No, I agree. I think it's fantastic what you've been able to do. And I think, yeah, working for Peter, he's such a, strong writer and director that this story just just popped out and it'll be it'll be a crime for him to not get somewhere with it and I think it's really good that I mean filmmaking is an interesting one because compared to something like photography which you can kind of do on your own filmmaking is very much a group group effort and there's so many different talents within the industry you've also got production designers set designers costume designers all that kind of stuff and the writers is kind of their roles which people often forget about they'll often focus on the director or like certain lead actors and everything but it's very much a big group-wide sort of talent in the industry and i think it's really good that we can now be like, as, as inclusive as possible with so many different backgrounds and like people who have come from filmmaking families i haven't i've had to kind of start from from the ground up and really kind of make the network make the connections and 
Yeah, I just think it's a really great time to be in the industry because there's so many, so much emerging talent now, and especially with so many different avenues that you can take and avenues to to watch festivals like yours. I think it's going to be it's a really exciting time to to get into it. Definitely. Do you know what? Can I, can I just jump in? Uh, I, I think what's what's I think why Apple and Disney and Netflix are, are responding and all the others are catching up to changes because all these exciting, interesting stories have been held back for such a long time. And mm. it's all about fresh, distinctive, authored new voices. And really that's, that's, that's been bubbling away for ages. It just hasn't had the opportunity to uh, be presented to audiences. No, that, I totally agree. You know, that's, that's, that's totally right. I mean, I'm watching uh, the I'm watching Good Lord Bird on um, Showtime at the moment, and it's like it's again, it's like I feel like um, it's a, it's about an era that I've seen stories about before, but I've never really seen it. For, it's like I feel like 30 years ago it would be about John Brown, but now it's from the perspective of you know the black people, and John Brown is a character in it. And I think that's where that's the interesting tweak and change you see. When I watch say something, I've I've been watching um, Lovecraft Country, and again I think it's a really fascinating deconstruction of how genre has often been, you know, from a very specific perspective and being able to tweak it in different directions. I think stuff like that is really fascinating. Hmm. I, I, would, I would just like to add on that. I, I, I know Buff has been around for 10 years. Like, I remember Buff 10 years ago uh, when I made my second short in 2010. That's when I remember Buff. I think there, I think there was an event or screening in, in, uh, in West London, Shepherd's Bush, Notting Hills, somewhere around those ends. So, that's right yeah 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 10 years deep man i remember uh, 15 actually 15 years when i saw it it was yeah. 10 years ago when right I, okay what, what was what was the film i can't remember i think it was one of i can't remember man i think it was one of my friends film was showing i think it was yemi's film yemi uh, Bemaro's. he's got a new documentary on trainers a feature length documentary oh, right. i think it's on iPlayer. I think it was his film yeah, that was screening Yemi's because I used to work at MTV back in the day. Sure. I am like 42. I am, I am, <laughs> I'm younger than, than I actually am. I look younger than I actually am. But um, I'm 42 in a few weeks, so I'm right behind you. Oh. I'm 42 in August, but yeah, you're, you're clearly you're, you're older than me. But what, but what I would say is I know for, for us who've been around for quite some time, like you, uh, Emmanuel, I hope there's been moments in the past where we actually felt this is the moment of change and it always never never fulfilled that promise i really hope this time is that moment where it fulfills the promise gil you, you were there at the mbe party in March. yeah i was dark and everything talk to everyone about obviously that experience and obviously your experience with buff over the past year and a half now uh, yeah, I should say that Buff has this uh, unique uh, skill of finding a very talented people in terms of even when I was searching for the writer of my next project, I was searching obviously everywhere through different festivals, but my shortlisted uh, uh, writers, they most came from the Buff uh, competition of the screenwriters, they have then been the finalists. And I was like, wow, this is amazing how you managing from all over the world, so diverse, finding this, you know, unique, uh, unique talents. I think this is like a very amazing, um, yeah, thankful for the festival. 
if that's what makes it so special. Um, <laughs> we're going to wrap up shortly, but uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you guys for being part of this filmmaker Zoom session. Um, on the theme of networking, now that we are all gathered, if people want to find out more about you or where to find you online on social media, how can they do so in terms of social media channels? Um, Mustafa, where can people find you online? <laughs> Optimus. Oh, hash Curly. Hash Curly, Optimus, as in Optimus Prime. So, so, so that's me. If you like, yeah, I'm always reposting a lot of film stuff. No problem. One day I'll put a John Hughes and completely vanish. I cannot wait for that day. <laughs> you won't be the only one, I can assure you. Um, here, where can we find you? I, 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 I have to say I avoid Twitter like the plague um, <laughs> because I, I'm a little bit the same. I don't really want to get into like massive arguments with people. Um, but no, um, if you want to check out any of my other work, it's at uh, kierseewert.com. I know I have a very hard name to spell, um, so hopefully they can go off of you know the program or not. Um, but also me and my wife work together. We put together, we have uh, everything, all our work is being developed under Hydroholics. So if you go to hydroholics.com, also, you can follow me on Instagram. You can just type in Kier Seawert. There's both the director's page and a personal page, which is like my photography and stuff like that um but otherwise yeah that it's it's really that simple if you google my name you will find ways to follow me there's only one of me there's no other kiosk words in the world which is <laughs> and where can we find you leon and peter uh, so likewise i have quite a unique name so hopefully you should be able to find me but my instagram's at leon so i'm gonna follow the trend here if that's All backwards right. it might All be right. yeah. um I'm going to get everyone for future filmmakers. That's a good idea. Um, so, find Peter. Yeah, I'm just going to get his up now. So, <laughs> in the trend. So, here's P underscore Rose. You're actually taking a battering there. Um, <laughs> Guliara, where can people find you? Yeah, I mean, it's the same. You've, I have... weird, you've all got weird names, by the way. So yeah, <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing. If you type Gulara in Google, you will find my Instagram and Twitter yeah. and Facebook. And if you type gularameliki.com, that will be my website with all my works and, um, yeah, portfolio kind of. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to thank Mustafa, Gulara, Leon and Kier. And for the benefit of our viewers watching, we'll actually have all our filmmakers' names on screen, just in case they can't find you for whatever reason but for the moment guys thank you very much for your time this afternoon and all the very best in your future endeavors in this industry thanks guys yes. thank you very much thanks. nice to meet you and best of luck with the festival bye bye, bye. Yes. 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 thank you